no growth in any area at any time comes without struggle. On tonight's program, ladies and gentlemen, we have something that's going to make you sick. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Four Stars Podcast. I am your host, Hudson Forster, and today we have probably one of the greatest of all time rowing coaches in the all of history, Mr. Steve Gladstone, the current head coach at Yale Heavyweight Men's Rowing. He has been the game for many, many years, and he has so much knowledge to share with everybody, and I'm just so fortunate enough to speak with him today and to hear his story and to hear how he really started in this sport that we that we call rowing. So, Coach Gladstone, thank you for taking the time to speak with me today and for enlightening all the viewers about this amazing sport. So, my, my pleasure, Hudson. Ah, thank you. Th thanks for the uh, the glorified uh, intro. I'm going to be honest, you know, off record, you know, Coach Gladstone, this is a really important day for me. I speaking with you, I've just heard amazing stuff about you and just what you've been able to do and the the accomplishments that you've had thus far. And I just like, you're, you're a rowing legend and it's, it's a really awesome gift that I'm able to talk to you and to honestly just, you know, know more about you and to just finally understand, you know, what this amazing guy is all about. So, all right. So we first start off with coach Steve Gladstone. He's a, he's a, he's a college rower at Syracuse university. He graduates in 1964. He then becomes a Princeton freshman coach in the year of 1966 where he's there for a couple years and he spent some time with the Tigers training them up he then transitioned to the other Ivy League school at Harvard University with working with the varsity lightweights he's there for a couple years again and he had four straight undefeated undefeated seasons there which is insane working at your first couple of years in the in the sport he then goes and he gets four titles at Eastern Sprints winning a 1971 Thames Challenge Cup and a is it Wiffold or Wifold? Wifold. Wifold. Wifold yeah. Challenge Cup. All at the Henley Royal Regatta in England. So he's doing amazing stuff, both at Princeton and Harvard. Nonetheless, while he's there as well, he spent some time with the U.S. national team and is there for 1969 and 1973. He also is a selector for the 1972 U.S. Olympic team. So he's spending time while he's actually coaching, also working with the United States national team. He then transitions to one of his, you know, most, I guess, longest that he's been in, in the game at the University of California, Berkeley, where he's there from 1973 to 1980. And don't just think he's there for only that time. He comes back and he goes for three undefeated dual race seasons, winning an IRA title in 1976 and a Pac-10 championship again in 1979. He gets to get a lot more Pac-10 championships, uh, uh, victories under his belt. But that's all I'm going to say for that. He then comes back and he returns back to Cal in 1997 through 2002. This is all before I was born. It's crazy. And he's, uh, he gets a bronze medal at the 1997 National Regatta with four consecutive championships from 1999 to the year 2002. Before he went back to Cal, he spends time at Brown University, the other Ivy League school, and he's direct director of rowing from 1981 to 1994. He wins four titles at Eastern Sprints, 
five times at IRAs, and two times at the National Collegiate Rowing Championships. From my personal perspective, Coach, this is not even all of it. This is just a smidgen of what you've been able to do. Then, while he's, while he's coaching at Cal, when I said he goes back to Cal, he's an athletic director, and he's there from 2001 to 2004. So while he's coaching, he's also the athletic director at Cal. His department placed ninth in the Director's Cup for overall excellence in 2003 and 2004, and he wins five national team championships. And then he goes to Yale, where he's been there since the year of 2010. And he's there for he's there he's been there and he's been doing great things and he's the he's been the head coach. So, coach, I mean, have I missed anything? No, you have you haven't missed anything. Just a just a, a few corrections. When I was at Princeton for three years, and in 1972, I was assisting Harry Parker uh, on that Olympic year. But other than that, the uh, information is accurate. I'm just trying to read off stuff from your uh, your Yale uh, University the 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 bio that you have on there. Right. Some is reading it off there, but I uh, okay. Well, I guess I'll have to figure that out. But Coach Gladstone, I did some research last night, and I want to know just there's been so many people that reached out to me like I cannot believe you got the opportunity to speak with Steve Gladstone just because of the fact of how you know uh, regal you are and how just you're just a, a really really inspirational person. And my best friend when he met you. His father told me that he spent two hours talking to you, and he, it was like talking to, like literally, like an, I, it, it was insane. Like he he was like, I learned so much from this coach in just a short amount of time that I spent with, and spent talking to him. That it's mm-hmm. like I cannot believe what he instills in his athletes and even his coaching staff as well, and the other athletes that you've been around. This past year, your old uh, rower uh, Scott Franson, the head coach at Cal, he wins a national championship. And you're on the other line of him. You're sitting right next to him. And your your boats are side by side competing against one another to win to win the championship. What's going through your head at that current moment when you see this happening? Uh, you know, I think uh, I think for any any coach, uh that those few moments uh before the start of a race are always uh are always, how would you call it, exciting, anxiety creating and so forth. But uh Candidly, you know who who's coaching the crews that are in the in in that event at that particular time is really not relevant. Nor was it on my mind. Nor was it, I'm sure, on Scott Franson's mind. Those those kinds of things are more uh, Hudson. Those kinds of uh, how would you call it comments are more Hollywood driven than they are reality driven. Uh, which is to say you're very much in the moment and you're pretty much obsessed with how the race is going to unfold. Uh, not either. It's not the history of the race. Uh, it's not uh, the other coaches in the race. It's pretty much focusing on, on your crew. Okay. Understandable. So at that current moment, you were just focused solely on Yale and your boat and just focusing on just, what it used to be is that what you're saying well what you're what you're what you're focusing on is and what you're you know actually just waiting to see is how the race is going to unfold sure. and specifically how your your crew is going to uh perform that's it got it all right yeah so during this time that you spent with it with a national team there had to have been something that you've learned 
And just, I really want to know how did this rowing coach, like, why did you want to become a rowing coach in the first place? Uh, you know, the early on, uh, it occurred to me that, uh, that that was something that I you know, wanted to try. Uh, you never know for certain, but I knew I wanted to try it. And I think the motive for that was that my freshman, or excuse me, my my high school rowing coach, uh, Tote Walker, was a very, very important uh, individual in my life. And I admired him very much. And uh, his life looked very productive and very worthwhile. Uh, wow. So I knew at some point I'd like to give it a try. And look what you've been able to do and you continue to do. It's insane. Um, I was, I'm just curious, you know, you bring a lot of international recruits to Yale and it's like, they come from all over the world. And then you have your American athletes as well. What's the ratio that you have on your team that you personally know of from like international American, you know, uh, on your team? A little history on that. Uh, Hudson starting in the late 1980s, uh, international oarsmen, uh, began to be recruited in this country. And uh, since that time, they've, you know, they've, you know they've, they've represented, you know, varying proportions of any squad. Uh, and any D1 school that you look at, and if you look at your statistics of uh, the number of international students that are racing in the finals of the Eastern, uh, Eastern Sprints or IRA, it's significant. I don't know the percentage, and obviously it changes year by year. Uh, and again, uh, not again, but specifically international or otherwise, uh, you know, young men that uh, of that age are pretty much motivated by the same uh, same same things, whether they're from Great Britain or Australia or the United States. Uh, yeah, so I, I don't see, I really don't see a difference in coaching an international oarsman from an American oarsman. I mean, I, I personally know from speaking with a lot of other people that international rowers start super, super young and they have a lot of experience and they've, they've been in the game for a, lo a very long time, whereas American rowers only start prior to college if anywhere from between five to even only a couple of years before they graduate their senior year. And it's, they're not really in the sport for super, super long. Whereas international rowers, they start when other kids are, are still playing, you know, football, basketball, baseball, they're in those sports, those little, you know, those sports at a young age in elementary school. Whereas in America, it's, it's not really, they don't really start that young. And if they do, it's, it's a very small amount of people who do that. Um, how did you so get, do you, want, do you want my thoughts on that? That's a... Yeah. I, I think. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> The uh, the you know be you know be certain, well advised that uh, there's nothing there's nothing intrinsic in some in an international oarsman uh, being superior to an American oarsman. In fact, the stroke man of our 2015 boat uh, that really that was the breakthrough year here at Yale uh, was from Northern New Jersey. His name was Nate Goodman. Uh, there, there is no question that the, uh, generally speaking, these are all generalities. The international oarsmen do start earlier. Uh, that's a factor. Uh, 
another factor is they uh, the majority of them spend a good bit of time in small boats, singles and, and pairs. Uh, and then the other factor is uh, they row year-round. Uh, in many parts of this country, you can't do that. Uh, so generally speaking, that those that's the rationale. You'll see a lot of them on uh, the Division Division One rosters. Uh, when you signed up to be the head coach at Yale, what was going through your head that current time? When you what, what were you thinking about? You know, you you spent some time at Brown and Princeton and Harvard, and then you went to Cal. So you've been from you know the East Coast to West yeah, Coast. Yeah, I'd, I'd be happy. To, I'll be happy to answer that question. Yeah. <laughs> the uh, yeah uh, the uh, I missed uh, collegiate coaching. Uh, after I stepped down at Cal, I I, uh, I was uh, Gary Rogers and myself started this the uh, California Rowing Club, and uh, and it was very productive and it has remained so. Uh, that being said, I was missing the collegiate rowing scene, uh, and when Yale uh, invited me to come to interview, I did, and the thoughts that ran through my mind during that process were these. Uh, Yale is where collegiate rowing in this country began. It was the first boat club. It was uh, 1843. Uh, the Yale-Harvard boat race was the first intercollegiate athletic event in America, which is to say the first time two universities ever competed against one another athletically. Uh, long, long history. So uh, it, it was very appealing uh, in that sense, to come here and uh, and how would you call it resurrect the program? Uh, it, it was it looked like a significant challenge, and at a place that I thought uh, was very exciting for all the reasons I just mentioned, or very appealing. Right, right, right. The history of Yale is is it goes on for for literally centuries, and it's. It's a very, very, um, it, it's, it's a very. Uh, what Hudson, I'm thinking about the history of Yale rowing, not right. the university itself. No, I understand. I, I mean, you can even relate it back to Title IX when, yeah. you know, when the women, you know, when they had their their time, when they, uh, when they went down to the um, athletic office and they they stripped down, they said, you know, they showered and they said, like, I can't remember exactly what they said across their across their uh, their chest, but. I remember like it was a very, I, I read about it and, you know, it was a super important time in just the Yale athletic history of Title IX and it, it's transformed the way that we see, you know, women in, in the sport. So it's a very, you know, impactful part of, of athletics in general, you know, so it's, it's, it's great. How are you, how are you guys uh, work with the women's team? Are you guys pretty close in terms of the heavyweights and the women's team as well? Yeah, the, the, the women's team, the heavyweights, the lightweights, we all, we have boat bays that are all together and, uh, you know, we're all, you know, we're all, uh, we're all rowing coaches and we're all rowing squads. And so there's, uh, there's a real sense of uh, unity there. Uh, we call it one Yale crew. My high school was super big and having like a one team, one purpose environment where we all were doing it for the people in front of us, behind us, and just the whole boat itself. And we were always wanting to show up to the boathouse, pulling for one another, um, and I just, I think it's a very important thing when you look for athletes to be on your team and how much of it is involved in the ERG score or as just the individual itself. When, uh, Hudson, when we're, when we're recruiting, 
uh, they're really probably two over over overriding factors. Uh, one, uh, a person has to have demonstrated a real love of the sport, you know, real passion for the sport. Uh, and two, they have to have demonstrated the capacity to work with others. Uh, we're not interested in having you know people that are self-obsessed and so forth. Uh, so those are the overriding factors. Uh, you know, the, the, the academic piece is taken care of by our admissions people. Uh, obviously, we're only going to, uh, it's only worthwhile for us to recruit people that have the uh, academic profiles that, uh, that Yale would, uh, will, Yale would accept. So, but the two, the two factors are love and passion for the sport and the ability to work with uh, people. Uh, that's, that's much more important than any other factors. Uh, and for the obvious reasons, you know, these the people you're recruiting are 17, 18 years old, and uh, you're you're going to project what they're going to be like when they're 19, 20, and 21. Uh, but the ERC score, the ERC score is is an important piece. Uh, but for this reason, uh, the ERC score is not going to be an indication of necessarily of their ability to uh, move a boat or where they are in the process of learning how to do that. But what it will be, it will be a measurement of their physiology. Uh, and with the ERG score, there's no way of getting a good ERG score without hard work. However, here's, here's, here's a distinction uh, that I think is important. Uh, somebody, let's say a young man or a young woman, and they say, well, look, I want to be recruited by, you know, a strong D1 school. Uh, so I'm going to get the best ERG score I can. Well, that's all well and good. However, the overriding question is, do you really love rowing? <laughs> or, or are you simply trying to get a good ERG score so that you'll get admitted and recruited? Do you see the difference? 100%. It's, it's huge. Because simply, you know, simply working working on an ERG, getting a great ERG score, that is an indication of hard work and discipline and perseverance. However, it doesn't necessarily answer the question, do you truly love the sport? Do you truly love to compete? Do you see what I'm saying? Or 100%. Yeah. I see what you're saying, Coach. And I, from a Coxon perspective, it's like we don't have that ERG score to really you know, help us get recruited to college. You know, it's all about who we are as individuals, our leadership, how well we can steer a boat, whether we are able to work together with other people and be collaborative because Coxons are very vocal and they're very, it's it's a strong mental game. And we see a lot of Coxons play golf a lot to kind of calm themselves because they get, they're under a lot of pressure as any athlete would be. But the, the, the Coxon role is super, super is a unique is a unique niche and it's, it's very very uh you know different than other other athletes and other sports and whenever i explain what i do every other individual is like you're a what i've never heard that before so you don't row so you just sit there and you just do nothing i'm like no that's not what i do i steer a boat i help out my teammates i'd be the best person that i can be and i'm able to i'm willing to work as hard as i can in order to make sure that our boat's going fast or we're safe and we're, we're on our way to doing to do very well that's my plan Right. So what other questions do you have for me? Well, one of the things that I was just curious about, just honestly, is it's like um, 
when you look for a coxswain it, coming on your team, you only have a little, you know, a couple spots, maybe one spot a year mm-hmm. to really recruit a coxswain. Um, and when you're getting all these emails from, from people and they're, they're all trying to reach out to you and, and your assistant coaches, you know, coach Mike Gennaro, and they're, they're trying to, you know, be on your team. What are some of your initial thoughts? Obviously, they have to pass by the academic transcripts, right? Yeah, well, the, 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 let me be clear. The academic piece is something that we don't, we, we, we can't begin to recruit people unless they have the academic standards or have the academic achievement that makes them a viable candidate for Yale. So put that aside. That's not up to the coaches. You understand that? You know, in other words, they, Yale makes, lets us know the people that we can recruit. So that's a, that's a done deal. Uh, and, uh, and that would be true. That would be true at any of these schools, right? Uh, you know, you know, so, uh, but no, with the, with the coxswain, it's, it's the same thing. Uh, do they have a real passion for the sport? Do they love the sport? Have they demonstrated that? Uh, and, uh, you know, similar to the oarsman, uh, the official visit is one of the key pieces because when the, when the, when the athlete comes, the, you, know, you get a sense, uh, of, of their of their person and so do our so do our athletes and they can they they can they can discern you know somebody who we would call is truly passionate about the sport or somebody who's just wants to get into Yale. Right? I have a quick question for you, sir. How many times have you recruited an athlete to your university? It doesn't have to be at Yale. It could be anywhere. How many times have you recruited an athlete that, you know, they act a certain way on their official visit, but then when they actually show up to your university, they're a totally different individual um, and and it's, they don't really mesh well with the team. Have you ever experienced that? Oh, I, I don't. I, you know, offhand, let's put it this way. When you recruit, you're never going, you're never going to, you know, you can never bat, you know, a hundred percent. And, uh, you know, a parallel to that, think about this, Hudson, uh, the NFL, you know, right, what that is. And they have, draft, they have draft choices. And they do a phenomenal amount of research on all their people, right, that they draft. And even the NFL, half the people that are number one draft choices aren't playing football three years later. So do we hit 100%? No, we don't. All right. So it's you shoot, hopefully you score. I guess I guess what I'm getting at from you. All right. Uh another question I have for you, coach, is just uh where do you see the sport in the in the next 10 to 15 years? Do you stay at see it being the same? Uh you know, what a, what's 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 happened over the past 30 or 40 years is absolutely remarkable. The growth of rowing in this country, it's just exploded. Uh, and my sense is that it, it's it's continuing. Uh, there are more people rowing, uh, you know, men and women, boys and girls, than at any time in rowing history. Uh, and so the growth will be there. Uh, the primary collegiate programs will be there. I'm hopeful that more more of the men's club programs 
will become varsity programs. Uh, that remains to be seen. Uh, but I, I, I see it becoming more and more popular. Uh, and the, the trend is remarkable. I was that that's my next question to you was what are your thoughts on on all these club sports? I mean, UCLA was a was a D1 sport at one point, and then they went down to club status and they've been there for a while now. Do you, I mean, do you see any hopes with any of these club sports really becoming a varsity sport and being, you know, funded by the university? Yeah, I you know, I I yes, I am hopeful that a number of those programs uh, that are club at this point will become varsity. Uh I think when athletic administrators uh get a full sense of, of the contribution that the sport makes to the development of people. Uh, I think they'll, I think they'll, they'll be more, more likely to, uh, to expand the, the primary, the primary, the primary, uh, the primary inhibitor is uh, at this juncture, I think is funding. Uh, most of, most of these major universities, with the exception of a few, are really struggling uh, to balance their budgets uh, as things are now. Uh, so we'll see what happens in the future. In the recruitment process, a lot of athletes, you know, they want to be there. You know, the coaches and everyone wants you to be there for four years and have those four years of eligibility. Do you ever see any times where you where you where you try to recruit any athletes that uh, are possibly redshirted or they 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 had an issue and they ended up going back and taking a gap year? And then they have four years of eligibility. Then do you ever do you ever find recruits like that, or do you only recruit them once they're after their senior year of high school? Uh, a gap year is fun, and gap year seems to be becoming more and more popular. Uh, and to some extent, I, I think a gap year is very good. It's another year of maturity. Uh, it's also it's it's pretty good thing if they take a gap year and get out in the world and see what things are like. I think that they probably would bring a little bit more purpose to uh to their education but uh no four years of eligibility is what the nc2a rule is and in an optimal situation the athletes have that uh covid screwed that up for the ivies pretty badly but not uh, the non-ivies the, the people were able to get four years you talk a lot about how official visits are a huge part of the recruitment process at, you know at at any university, frankly, but specifically, you know how you like to, you know, look at it. You're at Yale. I, I think I, I, I would, you know, hold on to the latter I, or the former, which is any any university. Yeah, the official visit is critical. Sure. And when that happened, when when universities were not able to hold those official visits and everything had to be online, what was going? What was what was happening? That was very hard. Yeah. It was very very hard. And yet you had to move forward. Yeah. Yeah. So you just had to make sure you had to do what you could do. And at that point, that's was, exactly right. You, you did the best you could do. Right. And uh, this past year, were you, you, were, you were able to host official visits this year, right? This past yes. year? Yes. Yeah. So it was, it was all back to normal and everything like that? Yeah, we have, we, we're having official visits this year. Oh, great. That's awesome to hear. I'm happy yeah. it's back because yeah. my my year, it was there was nothing. I couldn't even go to see a lot of these schools because everything was shut down. So well. it's good to know that things are kind of back back and ready. Um, awesome. So, uh, when you were the athletic director at Cal, there had to have been a time where it was like, uh, you know, you were, you were overseeing all these different sports, football, basketball, baseball, all these different sports, men's and women's, um, winning all these, all, all these championships, 
all throughout your years and not even just at your athletic at being athletic director at Cal, but just anywhere. What was what has been your favorite or most uh, impactful moment in your in your in your coaching career where you're like this this is it this right here just transformed my time in a sport you know what i'm saying coach i you know uh, hudson i don't think there is one particular time there's no event i think when you're coaching uh you know when you're right in the middle of it you're dealing with all the elements that you need to deal with you're teaching the sport you're guiding the individuals uh that's very much in the forefront uh i think when you stand back what's most gratifying and i think most coaches will tell you this is the 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 satisfaction that you that you get from watching these young men and women develop during their four years uh and uh they become they became you know to a large extent friends for life all these coaches that you've worked with and that you've that you know personally, is there any coaches that you feel like you know that do you learn from all these coaches? I mean, I'm sure it's a, it's a trial oh, and oh, error. Oh, oh, absolutely. I think you learn from coaches. Uh, you learn you, you learn from uh, people in, in various in various uh, walks of life. It's it, you're constantly absorbing, uh, either consciously or unconsciously. You're constantly uh, uh, absorbing. Uh, how people navigate in the world. Uh, and when I think of coaches, uh, clearly the coach that had the most influence on, on my life was my high school coach, uh, Thomas Walker, known as Tote Walker. And, uh, and others over the courses of the course of the year, over the course of the years, uh, you know, many others, almost too numerous to, to mention. Uh, yeah. Yeah, no question. Right. I mean, I, I don't really know if there's any other questions. I mean, there, I, there's so much to talk about, Coach, but I feel like asking an individual a question about all these different times in your life is just, I mean, we can always go back, but I would like to know more about your childhood up, upbringing and just if you, were, if you wouldn't mind sharing. Um, just uh, to- sure. I mean, it, it was, uh, I don't think anything unusual about it. Uh, uh, I went to high school to a boarding school in high school, and there was a you know, very rich athletic program there. Uh, and I captained the football team, and I wrestled in the winter and rode in the spring. Uh, and it was clearly, uh, clearly in those activities where I felt, you know, very whole and felt the, a very good you know, sense of being able to contribute, uh, you know, to the success of these of these teams. Uh, it was, this, you know, the high school was also, uh, you know, the center of the center of the of the school. It was an Anglican school, and there was chapel, and that was a big part of it. Uh, and then Syracuse was an absolute uh, delight, uh, and I was an English major there, liked to read and write, uh, but childhood pretty pretty average pretty normal I have two brothers and a sister and uh you know uh, we did what uh, families do right on 
And do you have any like grandchildren or any any siblings that? Yeah, you're... I've got I've got a grandchild a grandchild uh, out in Los Angeles. Oh, nice. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and, and hopefully uh, have more as time goes on. Right, and are are you going to? Make... I, have, I have I have I have three children. Oh wow! Okay. They're are not children. Trying... They're not Sorry. children. Sorry, what you say? What you say? They're not children anymore. Oh, okay, got you. All right. Uh, my my question is: Are you going to try to make your your grandchild be in the sport of rowing? Are you going to push that no, on? I, I, no, I, I I've never. I, I think you want to you you want to observe as a as a child grows. You want to observe what they're drawn to, uh, and uh, there's an old saying: You want them to ride the horse in the direction it's going. Yeah, yeah, for sure. A lot of a lot of people, uh, you know, and even you know, youth athletes struggle with getting over that mental hurdle of just trying to, uh, you know, they're struggling with trying to get faster. They're struggling with trying to, uh, whatever the case may be. It just there's that that mental hurdle in your head, that voice telling you to stop, not like you know, st- stop what you're doing, you know, give up already. This is you're doing too much. And then there's those individuals that are able to kind of overcome that uh, naturally. And they're able to just fight that voice in their head that's telling them to stop. Do you have any advice for people who are yeah. struggling with that? Yeah, I, I think this. I think anytime you, you make a significant investment, emotional investment in an activity, uh, there's going to be struggle. Expect it. Expect the struggle. It's part, it's part of life, period. Uh, and... If you expect it and know that it's not unusual, know that it's part of growing, it's part of growth, uh, then I think it becomes uh, less daunting, less troubling. It's just the way it is. And, uh, and here's, 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 the, here's the truth of it. Uh, no growth in any area at any time comes without struggle. Right, hundred percent. Yeah. Well, and you know, and so you accept it, and you embrace it, uh, and you move forward. That's what you got to do. And, and when you're in a strong team environment, then your your teammates help you through that. Right. Yeah. What do you talk about in in the beginning of the season with your athletes? Like, is there something that you talk about that you try to, like, make sure you, you set in stone before the season starts? Yeah. Yeah, there are things uh, that are mentioned. Probably the most important thing is, is that it's their game. They'll, they'll get what they give. Uh, and their internal motivation is really what prompts the development. It's their internal motivation. The coaches that are there support them in their development, support them in meaning guide them uh, when they need the guidance. But basically it's not a top-down authoritarian process. Their results will be in direct proportion to what they give in all their, in, in the, in the training process and to, and to their teammates. So we want to make that clear. There's no magic. There's no special formula. There's people that have been trying to find that formula and that answer that formula for many, many years, coach. And it's, yeah. it's, it's hard. It's hard to find it. But those athletes that are able to really overcome that hurdle 
and they're able to just do whatever they can. But was it was it power to the metal? What is it called? Power to the metal? What's, what's pedal to the metal? Pedal to the metal. Yeah, pedal to the yeah, metal. But, but 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 I think but I think what's important to understand is that these icons, uh, athletic icons, whether it's Serena Williams or Tom Brady or all these people that you view as, you know, they've gone through incredible times of dif difficulty, darkness, questions, doubts. That's that's the human condition. It's when you're engaged, when you're engaged fully, then that's what you can expect and that's how you get better. That's how you grow. So great coach. I mean, I, I there's good. there's a lot to talk about, but I think we've we've talked about a good amount. And uh just wanted to say thank you for your time. I appreciate it and I appreciate the time that you've you know spelled me. I'm sorry about all the technical difficulties in the beginning, but it's all right, we got it going and we had a podcast. Yeah. And, that's not a, not a not a problem at all and uh thanks for uh you were the one that asked you asked how i came on your podcast i came on your podcast because you asked and i had the time to do it so another time another part of the year i might not have but uh it's all good thank you hudson thank you coach take care of yourself all, all I'll, I'll talk to you soon thank you all right good luck